welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another podcast, the Flex Success Podcast on how to be less shit is our tagline. So hopefully we're going to teach some people how to do that today. I hope so. Uh, I'm joined with, obviously, Lizzie, as always. And today, well, actually tonight in her world, we're joined by new Flex coach, Chelsea. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> so we, um, the podcast that was released before you was new Flex coach, Tom. So surprise, there's two of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to tell listeners um, who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Yes, of course. I'll give you a bit of background about me. Um, My name's Chelsea. I actually live in America, and I'm American. Uh, Right now, I live in Detroit, Michigan, which is where I grew up. Um, But I've lived in Los Angeles and then also in Sydney, Australia. So I have... Uh, I've lived in different parts of the world, but who I am, I'm one of the newest uh, Flex Success coaches and I'm happy to be on board. Um, I was really excited to get the opportunity to work with this company because I feel like our values are aligned in a lot of different ways. Um, You really have a health-centered and long-term approach to um, helping clients, even over like financial and egocentric gain. It's all about the client and what's best for them. Uh, which is something that I value very much as well. I kind of like to think of um, like all my clients as little caterpillars and then helping them turn into butterflies so they can eventually fly away uh, because that is the main goal is for everyone to feel successful by themselves in their daily life. Um, I do this because I feel like this is what I'm passionate about. Um, I went to college at Michigan State University actually for marketing about 10 years ago. And um, in, that, in that time, I've worked in both Los Angeles and Sydney and different advertising agencies where I've worked with um, national and global clients um, in the tech and retail space. But when I was there, I was kind of feeling like um, I was just kind of working for something else with no real purpose, kind of just on that hamster wheel going in every day and just counting down the hours till it was five o'clock and got to leave. Um, so I always knew there was like something out there that was that would speak to me in a better way. Uh, but it wasn't until I actually moved to Sydney that um, even though both America and Australia are both westernized cultures, there is a bit of a difference in terms of like work-life balance. So when I was working in LA, I was working until like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, pretty much every night. And um and then kind of using the weekends to go wild because I was just so confined to work. I didn't have as much space from a personal perspective, but in Australia, uh, my clients actually told them, do not contact me after 6 PM. So I found that I had tons more discretionary time. Um, and I kind of connected with other people in the fitness world out there. Um, I think that's, that's very prominent in Sydney. There's a lot of fit people and started talking about um, different bodybuilding competitions that they were doing. And I eventually got involved myself and kind of just discovered the transformation, not only that occurs physically, but mentally and how I developed as a person and as a woman, just like through that whole process and discovering things about myself that I didn't know before. And I just felt really empowered. And I thought, you know what, this is what I should be doing. I should be helping other people find a way to feel as good as I did and kind of get rid of all of the um, different uh, potentially not correct thought patterns that the media throws at us that we, that as just general population kind of soak up and and kind of believe these different diet strategies or six weeks to, to abs. And I think after going through the process myself, that first time, everything just kind of clicked for me. And I just wanted to kind of share what I've learned and then build upon that knowledge. So after that, um, I quit. I quit my career that I had worked so hard for and decided to become a student again and start over. And um, so now I've been working as a personal trainer and nutrition coach for the past few years back in America. And I love it. I feel a lot of purpose from it. And I think... You know, nothing makes me happier when other people start to understand the real transformative magic of 
of nailing their nutrition and training. I love the metaphor that you gave with turning your clients from caterpillars to butterflies. And I've never really thought of it like that, but it's, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Except for the fact that Liz does a lot of butterflies. I actually don't. Um, so a little bit of a sidestep. I did a cruise uh, from Miami around the Caribbean islands or Caribbean islands. I'm not really sure how you pronounce it. And um, was it uh, Barbados? I think there was a, a butterfly sanctuary. And I thought I liked butterflies because they're pretty and beautiful and whatever. But when you get up close, they're actually disgusting little insects with beautiful wings. <laughs> and they'd go and land on me and be like, fuck off! <laughs> Swatting them away. They leave their dust on you like a moth as well. <laughs> it was gross. But anyways, way off topic. Um, <laughs> that's cool. I loved that you... <laughs> I love that you left a career that you worked so hard for. You know, you understood sunk costs because it didn't align with what you were doing instead of just seeing it out because you'd already put the work in. And I think that takes a lot of guts. So good for you. Yes. Thank you. It was, it was a huge, it was like a really scary thing, but um, I think it's all worth it. When you take those big leaps like that, um, there's something better for you on the other side, especially if you're willing to put in the work. No regrets. No, uh-uh. no, I thought coming back to Michigan. So I'd moved away from Michigan when I was 20 because mainly because of the weather. I'm somebody that is very much affected by like cold and dark. And in Michigan, it snows for, it snows and it's cold for a good portion of the year. Um, but I think, I think when I moved away originally, I was almost just like running towards a place that I thought was going to be a vacation all the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought my life's going to be so much better if it's like, if I can always go to the beach or always go to the pool. Um, but what I found out was that if I don't like what I'm doing for the majority of the week, it doesn't matter what I'm doing on the two days of the weekend. It's more of like, it was more stressful just to actually enjoy my life for two days. Whereas now I don't really feel like I'm working because I enjoy so much of it. So it's, it, yeah, it almost, it, it's much better. So um, the, the, the winters are still quite tough, but uh, there's more upsides to doing what you love rather than where you live. Mm. I've just like recognized that there's some weird parallels with the discussing of weather and dieting because it's kind of the same people that live for the weekend to, to have cheat meals. It means that the whole five days prior to it or six days prior to it is just a damp, cold, wet day. And they can't, when they unleash and go wild. Yeah. And then yeah. it just as the circle continues and they're never really that happy with the entire process. It's just, they get a momentary sense of satisfaction that mm. is then completely stomped by terrible weather for the rest of the week. I never thought of it like yeah, that. And then seasonally, like if you have a really good understanding of nutrition, although you know, there's going to be moments of winter, e.g. dieting, it's not so bad because you have a good grasp on all of the stuff that you manage, the variables of food choice and flexibility and understanding nutrition and all that. Mm. And as you were explaining, Michigan, I'm like, that sounds like dieting to me. Huh. Mm. There you go. So, yeah, that's very true. Um, now talk us through, because you mentioned in Sydney, that's when you started getting involved in competitions, like physique competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us how the preparation phase or the dieting looks different than your first time round as it does now as a seasoned competitor. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did everything wrong that first time, but I, I'm glad I did because I learned so much from it. I didn't even realize that there were coaches, to be honest. Like I was so out of it. I was very fit all through growing up and very into fitness, but it was more like cardio, boxing and running and things like that. So it wasn't until I came to Australia where I started training. Um, I Googled bikini diet <laughs> and I followed it to a T. I'm very disciplined. So for 18 weeks, I followed what it said on there up to like down to it said one third cup oats and then in parentheses uncooked, meaning, you know, dry weight but I thought it meant you had to eat it uncooked. So like, that's how specific I was. Um, and <laughs> For 18 weeks, you ate dry oats? Yeah, and it was only a third cup. So it was, oh, and, yeah, it was just oh, tiny. Yeah. So I like ate it oat by oat. <laughs> just to enjoy it all. That is so amazing. you can imagine that um, on, the, well, on the day of the competition, I didn't have a, like any type of plan coming out of the show. It was all going into the show and how restricted I was. 
Um, so like immediately after I had a lot of post show like sweets that I was missing, um, like donuts and pancakes. And then we went out to dinner and I went to have um, an olive. It was like a Mediterranean place as an appetizer and my stomach exploded and we had to run home and I got sick the rest of the night because I was just eating like literally green beans, almonds, chicken, and plain oats for that whole 18 weeks. Um, so yeah, so that was a learning experience. And also just after that competition, I, I did quite well in the competition. I was happy with how the day went and how I um, placed and things like that. But um, since I didn't have a coach, I nobody set me up for like, what's next? Like, who cares about this little plastic metal after it? You know, like mm. it means nothing. Um, so it was, I was one of those people that had gained a, quite a bit of weight right after and just kind of felt that post-comp blues that you hear of if you're not set up properly in your mindset. Um, so the next time around, I, I did hire um, a very reputable coach and worked with her um, and, and also took my, um, got into my certifications and personal training and nutrition. So just learning more of the science behind things as well at that point. So now I follow pretty much a flexible dieting if it fits your macro type approach up until pretty much all through the competition, uh, competition prep until it gets down to like the last three weeks, I, I write a meal plan for myself and I pretty much stick to those specific foods just to make sure that everything's like, um, uh, that I can like tell what my body's going to do basically. Ooh. Yeah. Less yeah. variables. Yeah. And it's, it's much more freeing this way once you can start to understand, um, the diff what different foods your body requires and in, in the quantities and then just having a little bit more variety so that way um, you never all, all the way feel deprived of anything. Mm. So yeah, so I, I've already had one show this season um, a few weeks ago and then afterwards I did go out for dinner but there was like it took me forever to figure out even what I wanted because I didn't feel deprived of anything. So yeah. Knowing that, um, that you'll eat dry oats for 18 weeks just because the plan on Google said so. As your boss, I, I think that I can just ask you to do ridiculous things now. And you'll follow it. No, the problem is she's learned. She's, she's matured. Only, only like the oats thing, Dean. She's still probably going to follow instructions to a team. We're going to start an upside down social media story week. <laughs> and you're going to be the first one to do it. That's so funny. Oh, I love that. That's hilarious. I um, sometimes on meal plans that we write for our flex clients, we'll put like, you know, rice is very different when it's cooked and not cooked because it absorbs a lot of moisture. So a hundred grams of cooked rice is like 36 grams of carbs. Whereas a hundred grams of rice at raw weight before it's um, consumed all the water is what, like 80 yeah, carbs? 70, 80, yeah. So on a meal plan, we always write like cooked or uncooked. Um, and depending on how the person likes to food prep, but also with potatoes baked in the oven, they lose like 50% of their weight. So I'll write cooked, uncooked. And I had one person being like, Lizzie, can we change the sweet potato? Cause I just can't stand eating raw sweet potato. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, oh. <laughs> no, you just weigh it raw. But I can, I can understand the confusion if that's not explained. Yeah. So <laughs> It makes sense. But there's also bias towards each food. So like you'll put raw chicken. No one will eat that raw, except in... Yeah. Yeah, and um, and yeah, like you put raw egg and they're like, Can I, do I have to drink them? I'm like, no. Like, Boil them, you know? poach them. But it is true. Um, funny yeah. side shoot because we're talking about prep as well. I had a client once, Chelsea, that um, I put in his diet pre-made pre pancakes. So all he had to do was add the water, right? And per container was 350 grams of dry weight pancake mix. And it was usually about 700 mil mixed with the water in it with the water in it and i wrote on his diet like 700 at cooked uh, sorry at prepped weight including water and for some reason he just didn't read it and he thought it was dry weight so he was having two full containers of pancakes mix like in his off season and he was so sick of it he would mix one up drink it and then cook the other one <laughs> I know who he is. He's an absolute legend. Yeah. Name and shame. Yeah, Gerard. He doesn't care. <laughs> Gerard. And then, and then about maybe, I'm going to say like six weeks into the dieting, he's like, hey, bro, I've just realized that my refeed is more carbs. I've been having it raw. And I'm at raw weight. And I'm like, oh, man, like good news is like you can obviously tolerate a ton of food because he, he was losing like. He was losing yeah. a kilo a week minimum. And he like his refeed was like 
out by about 650 calories. <laughs> Which is but like a fair the, amount. The dude was 120 kilos, so like lucky. But uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what is the pancake mix drinking? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hang on. <laughs> drinking it? He would, yeah, so he'd mix a container with water, shake it up, mix the second container with water, shake it up, cook one container, drink the other container. Why? Because he didn't want them. He was like, there's too many pancakes. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> a whole packet is a lot, man. It's like, it works out to be something like um, 12 pancakes or something. No, well, that's commitment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it sure does show the commitment to be eating raw sweet potatoes. I think that one's the worst, though. Yeah. That would be... Terrible. My dog won't even eat some raw sweet potatoes. <laughs> mm, that That's is so pretty funny. Intense. I've actually yet to meet him. I've seen him in your photos. He's a pitbull yeah. cross Dalmatian you've mentioned. Pitbull Dalmatian, yeah. He's locked in the room right now because he would want to play. But yeah, uh, he's about eight years old, I, we think, because um, we adopted, well, my boyfriend had adopted him mm-hmm. and now I'm his, you know, mom. Um, but yeah, through this, through this comfort, my activity has been so high that my step count has been quite high. And so I've been taking him on all of my walks and he has lost 10% of his body weight. <laughs> so he is now getting extra food because he is not meant to be losing weight. That is a dream for a dog, more food, more walks. Mm. Yeah, I know. He's really living up. And I, again, I found that um, competition prep is much more enjoyable in the summer. I've never done it in the summer before. And it's, mm. it's like almost fun. <laughs> is it because you can get outside and enjoy the sun? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go to the, you know, the gym to do your cardio. It's more just being outside, listen to a podcast. It's less stressful, at least for me. Mm. Yeah. So up longer, the days feel longer. Mm. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned a couple of things like you mentioned about like, uh, so obviously diet restriction to a certain point or maybe some more restraint we should talk about. Uh, and now cardio, what are some of the trade-offs or costs that people need to consider when it comes to comp prep, you think? Yeah. And when it comes to comp prep, I think, um, well, the first thing, well, with anything, with anything, whether you're going to a comp prep or just a diet, it's always kind of thinking about two questions I like to ask. Um, for what purpose and then at what cost? Um, for, that, for that what purpose, that's pretty important because if you don't have a strong like reason why you want to put yourself through um, to, to embark on a competition prep journey, it's going to be really hard to stick through it when times get tough and also feel proud and empowered of what you're doing because you're going to be wanting to stop and kind of feel like you're locked in. So I think just knowing your purpose first off and then, yeah. And then thinking about the trade-offs too, that will have to come. So as things become more rigid and any type of diet, there has to be some sacrifices and compromises made. And obviously um, there's different strategies to do that. But I mean, one that comes to mind for me is um, your social life. Obviously you can't say yes to things. You have to be much more specific on what you decide to how to spend your time and who to spend it with. Um, yeah, but obviously there's different ways around it. Instead of going out to eat or having something be food focused, you could um, meet up somebody for a coffee or a walk or, you know, the movies or something different, I guess, than just food. But I know uh, in, in all of our culture, food is just surrounding us. So, um, yeah, setting that up first. Um, some other some other trade-offs, um, I guess also just making sure that everybody around you that is important to you kind of understands the purpose that you're the purpose that you have so they can support you and having that conversation as well. Um, and then, yeah, just having to be more, putting more effort into things, right? So spending more time planning out your meals ahead of time or um, making time to get your training and your cardio in when you might be dead tired or have a full day yourself with work and then having to go to the gym after. So all those things are kind of important. And I kind of feel like how you do one thing is how you do everything. So Mm -hmm. by letting one thing start to slip, everything else starts to slip as you go. So it's better just to keep to your guns and get your daily checklist in of all your actions each day. It's so true because if people start to say, oh, I'll just miss it this one time, that one time turns into and this other one time and then that all really accumulates. And then it spills over to, like you said, food prep and and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. Um, Dean always says that he hates when people say it says 110% because like it doesn't exist. And all he expects of his clients is like 90, 95%. 
Maybe 97. Maybe 97%. Because if we try and hit everything on the head and we, you know, don't let anything slide, things happen and occasionally we miss a thing or two. But if we on purpose or intentionally just this one time let things slide, then, you know, our intended 90% that ends up being 95% actually ends up at like 80. Mm. And if you're Karen trying to lose five kilos, that may be fine. But if you're Chelsea trying to smoke a competition with really fierce competitors up there with you, it's just not going to fly. Yeah. I think the biggest difference between um, like standard diet intervention versus a comp prep in regards to a trade-off is that there's time specificity. And the problem with missing it once is that you don't see the repercussion. And like, if we're talking about life, like you can miss things semi-occasionally on a semi-regular basis, because if the average is 80%, you'll get a pretty good result. Uh, but in comp prep, where you're asking yourself to go well beyond what your body wants to do, that one time done repetitively, all of a sudden becomes like a really big deal because of mm-hmm. such, because the time point that you have is so short, but you just don't notice those little mistakes until they accumulate over that short period of time. And then you're like, oh, I actually missed the mark by about 5%. And like that 5% yeah. looks huge on stage, which is a really difficult thing to do. I wonder if it can also haunt a competitor because Chelsea, you did really well in your competition. You came third. And um, there's some really bad sports that are like, broken judging was unfair and, <laughs> and this and that. But you took it like a legend. And I wonder if um, how much of that came down to knowing that you did everything you needed to do and you didn't have those, like, those moments of, oh, if only I didn't skip that training session or didn't have this cheat meal or whatever. You just knew that you did everything you could do and the result was the result, which was still a good one, by the way. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a subjective sport. <laughs> what I see, what my mom saw on stage is not necessarily what the judges are looking for. But if you're, you know, if you're proud of, of the of the package that you're bringing to stage and yeah, like you said, like that you did everything that you could, never missed, always planned ahead and um, gave it 100% effort, then I mean, at the end of the day, it's just someone's opinion and you can try yeah. again. The stage is always there. So, yeah. healthy attitude. Yeah. I've missed that mark twice now. Oh. <laughs> judge. Uh, you know what? You know how you're saying it's not what I saw or what my mum saw? I feel yeah. like... I'm the mom looking at Dean on stage going, what the fuck judges are we looking at? Because, oh, I, I love the the guys that you came second to, but I really do think that. I'm coaching one now. Are you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Dawny, yeah. right? Yeah. The guy who beat me in the first nationals that I ever did, Mike Dawn, he's now a client, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm super stoked to work with him because he's, he's got some. They're really great competitors, but yeah. first place was yours, honey. <laughs> no, nah, I think, I think Dawn, Dawny definitely beat me. To be honest. Okay, well, um, Perry, is that his name? Uh, that was another one. Yeah, that was in the fir- my first ever show. That was arguable. He was bigger. I was leaner. You know, whatever. You're going to go for size over conditioning? Yeah, but yeah. it is what it is. That's part of the game, like but I said. you also um, coach what we call gen pop or general population, which just yeah. means non-competitive athletes mm-hmm. um, or just amateur athletes, people who just... I don't know. I don't know if gym rat is an offensive term, but people who just love going to the gym and having a healthy lifestyle, but just for their own sake or to look good naked. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell Um, us about your experience with gen pop. Yeah. So, um, gen pop is, is really fun because I, I kind of, a lot of my clients are where I used to be with like confused. They come to me like, Oh, I didn't have a carb after 6 PM or, um, is it, can I intermittent fast? And just helping them to understand like the bigger picture and taking a step back is kind of my favorite thing. And when things start to click and they come back to me and say, Oh yeah, I've, I've realized this about myself. Or did you know that salmon actually has a lot of fat in it. It's like, oh my gosh, you're you're starting to learn. Um, so that's that is the majority of my um, in-person clients training, definitely, mm-hmm. and um, teaching teaching women especially what it feels like to be strong and to lift something heavy up, and to see the satisfaction and the sense of empowerment that they start to develop is amazing. It's an amazing feeling to teach somebody through that. So. Um, so yeah, that's that's a big part of what I do. That's really cool. You said before that uh, you like to ask the uh, for what purpose and at what cost. But I would also add for Gen Pop and Comp Preppers alike, I always get the question from Gen Pop: um, Is this good? 
Like, is, can I eat this food? Is it good? Or should I have this supplement? Is it good? Compared to what is the question that I would insert in there as well as um, for what purpose and at what cost? Mm. Because mm. for gen pop, they seem to, and probably athletes too, think of things as good and bad. Good food, bad food, good for weight loss, bad for weight loss, stuff like that. Um, but no food outside of rat poison is good or bad. Only diets are. We need to consider everything. No exercise really is good or bad. It's just like compared to what. And like you said, at what cost for what purpose. Um, so clients listening or even coaches, it might be worth considering Chelsea's two questions when um, looking at exercises or food or food timing or food selection, whatever it is. And instead of, or when clients ask you, is it good or is it bad? Compared to what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really cool question. That if yeah, for what purpose and at what cost? Yeah, because yeah. That, that allows you to determine like how much effort you theoretically are allowed to put in versus you know the cost that it was required to achieve the said goal. So that's cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I find that it's it's useful as well because um, some of the people that um, I. I coach and look after are already coming to me in good shape. Like they are not overweight. They don't need to lose weight by any chance. They're already healthy, live a relatively healthy, active lifestyle, but they want to see improvements to their body for themselves. So we all know that, you know, the, the leaner that you are, the harder it is to make more changes because you're already living a good lifestyle. So having that conversation and say, okay, for, for what purpose, why does this, why is it, does it mean so much to you to change how you look right now? Um, and how will you feel when you achieve that goal? How will your life be better? Um, and what like positive outcomes will come from this? Because if that isn't strong, then it's almost just setting them up for disappointment. Um, I have a few women right now that want to change, but I ask them to tell me about their um, daily life. And, you know, they, they have kids and they enjoy a lot to drink often, uh, multiple days per week. Um, they like to get takeout and things like that just for ease to help their family. And it's like, okay, well, are you willing to put in the effort to plan ahead and maybe, you know, trade in one of your alcohol days and they go, no, I'm not. Okay. Well then this is what you can't expect. Just so we're all on the same page. We're not expecting magic to happen without putting in, uh, the effort that's required. Mm-hmm. Making sure everything's aligned. Yeah. Yesterday, I completed a book. Actually, it was the second time I went through it because it's so fantabulous. And it's called Everything is Fucked by Mark Manson. Um, And one of the lines that he said is something like the best way to crush a dream is to achieve it. And how I interpreted that um, is a lot of clients think when I get a six pack, I'll be happy. Or when like this particular dream is achieved, then I'll be happy. And I think it's important to have the conversation of how, how will actually changing your body change your life in any significant way? Because if people think all their problems will go away once they lose that five kilos or get the trophy or something like that, well, the best way to crush that dream is to achieve it, get the six pack, win the trophy, whatever, and realize all your problems still exist. The way that you nitpick at your body probably still exists. (laughs) Like Mm. your partner is still a cheating scumbag. Like none of your issues are going to pass because you now have a six pack. So that conversation might bring people back to reality. How will your life change if you achieve this? It probably won't other than I'll look sexier in my clothes and maybe have a bit more confidence, which is a fine goal, but realize Mm. kind of how your life will change. It's not going to be, it might be more of an evolution more than it is a revolution. Mm. I think your language there might actually um, pick apart that a little bit too, because a dream typically is something that you, is this sort of fantasy-like want. It doesn't necessarily have purpose and it's not necessarily a goal. Whereas a goal, like you said, is, is typically like very specific and there's a reason in which you want to achieve that. So like if you do have dreams, it's likely that you don't have a really conscious understanding of the reality of what it takes to live the dream. Because a dream's not a plan. Because a dream's not a plan and it's not a goal that's been determined by the characteristics and which we're talking about now, the purpose and also the cost. Mm. So stop dreaming. It's terrible. No, don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> if anyone wants to get really clear on um, the reasons behind their goals, I would suggest a book called Starting With Why, Start With Why. Start With Why. Yeah, start yeah. With Why. 
Dean's old boss uh, actually gave it to me, Hey Grant. And it's such an epic book. Not, do you have it right there? Is that what you Yeah, I have. I mean, I have a bookshelf right underneath. And we have that book. I don't, it might be by our bed. Have you read it? So do we. Uh, Yeah. That's it. Start with why. Simon Sinek. That's his name. That's it. What did you think? Um, it's been a while since I read it, so I, I, I don't know if I could recount it right now, but I, I have read it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think it's um, really helpful not for people to get clear on their why themselves. Um, and a lot of people think that the reason that they continually fail is they have a lack of willpower. I think that might be an ingredient um, in failure, perhaps, but I think a lot of it comes down to not getting clear on why it's so important to you. So when you're saying yes to a whole pizza, what are you saying no to? And, and when you have a really clear understanding of I'm saying no to, um, you know, I don't know, staying active in my older age and playing with my grandkids or not losing my leg to diabetes. Like you're saying, you're saying yes to pizza, but no to your own health. Mm. Um, and, and when it's, when they're really clear, it's really clear what action you should be taking. But mm-hmm. when it's foggy and you don't have a clear why it's easy to slip up. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's totally true because we all have, it's not that the people that achieve their goals have more willpower. They just have a stronger drive and they're able to say no when it needs to be said, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. potentially that their framework is far more malleable and manageable. Yeah. As opposed to saying that you have to eat a third of a cup of rice. Uh, just of a better relationship with food. Just in general, like the understanding and like the parameters that are put in place to help success uh, become a reality are typically more manageable, more maintainable, more sustainable, all of those kinds of things. Right. And Chelsea was able to eat dry oats because it was only 16 weeks. Yeah. And maybe just them. because she did have a lot of willpower and there was a very specific goal that was kind of new and fresh and, and whatnot. But like, obviously if that was your weight loss approach for sustainability, yeah. it wouldn't last. Right. Yeah. yeah I, that was out of fear. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. So that first conference was hundred percent out of fear. I was scared to tell anybody about it. And then when they started to find out, I was like, Oh my gosh, what if I go on and I'm, and I don't look like I should be up there. What if I embarrass myself? So yeah, fear drove me that whole time, which was not good because then afterwards I collapsed. Um, have you heard of that? Um, uh, be, do, and have. So people sometimes get these words messed up and I, are switched up when they're thinking about their goals. So in order to achieve your goals, you actually first have to be that person. So that's why, well, talking with comp prep, if you're going into a show, spending time visualizing yourself as the winner, or, you know, I assume that most people that enter a competition want to win. So as the winner, what that feels like when um, you were awarded that first place, what the crowd sounded like, um, and just the sense of accomplishment that you feel. So already becoming the winner in that sense. If, if it's just to have, if you're just trying to lose weight, then yeah, think about how it feels to be in your clothes. Um, what, it, what it looks like um, when other people are looking at you and giving you those compliments. So just becoming that person first. People always think that they have to wait to become that person and they'll never get there. So it's be and then do. So doing the actions because you're already that person, start acting like that person would act. If you're already a, you know, if you already have won your pro card um, in a competition, well, you would have had to do the actions that a pro athlete would do. And then, and then eventually you'll have what you want to have. So people always want to have it first. Mm. Uh, yeah. And they get it mixed up. <laughs> I love it's true. that. It's true. Most people want the goal and they think they, they can have it tomorrow. Uh, but they don't actually visualize and contextualize the necessity of change mm. first. That's mm-hmm. super true. Um, I, I guess I've always like intuitively thought of it in a similar way, but I've never had it laid out in such simple terms. Mm. And I think this will be such an awesome learning exercise, Chelsea. Me and you can work on this together for our clients. We do have. We do have. I've written it down already. See my, oh, my messy children's handwriting. But there's, there's not a phallic shape drawn on those notes for you. <laughs> I doodle a lot and I draw hearts, stars, and dicks. Of the three you doodle. Um, <laughs> Is that why it's called doodling? Maybe. Can I, uh, to, um, to run a parallel to that, actually, and like somebody that we uh, are good friends with and have spoken on the podcast as well as Broderick Chavez, I uh, heard him on a podcast once talk about 
essentially just providing a thought process to the intended goal as well with a very simple like mantra line. And for example, comp prep, his was think lean. Think lean. That was it. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense to me because in order for me to become lean, if I think lean, what does that mean to me? Okay, it means activity must go up, food must be accurate, recovery must be good, training must be hard. And if I think lean, I'll act lean. And then it was the same as like where he got it from was he uh, worked a lot in the athletic population uh, for track and field. And they always said to the, the guys that he was helping uh, juice up, let's say, for speed. Broderick is the drug guy. Yeah. So he's into performance enhancing he, drugs. Um, That's what Dean means by He's the up. guy ruining the Olympics, right? So um, <laughs> anyway, he's the guy in the background of Icarus. Yeah. Have you seen Icarus? Do you have Netflix? Oh, man, you've got to watch Icarus. Oh, uh, yeah, I have Netflix. What is yeah. it? Icarus. It's a, it's a okay. documentary. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, his was Think Fast, for example. So all of those athletes had to do things and act in a way in which was think fast, be fast. And typically, like, was that? so I, I like that way uh, of an approach as well. Yeah. So go along with be, do, good, have. Hmm. Be, do, have. I said be, uh, do, good. Be, do, have. Oh, be, do, have. Yeah. Well, tell us about Icarus, Dean. Uh, so if anybody is, so I've always been a cynical dude in the sports world because I've always assumed that most athletes use some form of performance enhancement. Now, my bias obviously uh, supports that now that I compete in a federation that doesn't test for for performance enhancing drugs. So we've got to acknowledge that. I think there's an anabolics book in the background here somewhere. Uh, it's, it's actually next to my <laughs> oh, bed. It was, my, it? it was my pre-bed reading last night. I, I did a podcast in Dean's chair recently. I was a guest on a podcast and it just had this big anabolics book in the background. <laughs> I was like, I'll move that. It oh, might give people. Now there's Arnie Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but anyway. Encyclopedia of bodybuilding. But um, yeah, so Icarus is about a fellow who is typically a, uh, creates movies and docuseries and stuff like that and he was also an amateur cyclist and he wanted to compete in the biggest amateur cyclist competition in the world that's considered the most toughest and it comes the most toughest the most toughest the most tough yeah and it um it, it goes along some of the tour de france routes and all the rest of it and he says i'm gonna do it natural and then i'm gonna drug myself for 12 months and i'm gonna uh i'm gonna have all the people to help me so he had an exercise physiologist strength coach and he had a drug coach and then I'm going to go back to this competition and I'm going to see how well I can do. Cause I know all of the top guys are drugged up to the gills. Hmm. Anyway, long story short, he starts off doing that. Natty. And no, he starts off doing that, that process of doing it natty, then gearing himself, speaking to the relevant doctors, getting the appropriate people. And the doctor that he ends up, or the person he ends up getting drug advice from is the head scientist of the WADA lab out of Russia. <laughs> And he's in there like, yeah, man, his name's Grigori. Uh, Just explain Kuchekov. what WADA is for people. Uh, so World Anti-Doping Association. So they should be against drugs, anti-doping. So they have a whole bunch of like chemists and scientists inside labs trying to find tests to determine like whether or not there's certain metabolites in there that they've cheated with, uh, urine tests, blood yeah. tests, you name it. So they're the institution in charge of making sure that sports stay clean, drug free. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the head scientist of the Russian lab. Um, he's famously known for creating the drug Teratobol, which was the drug that all Russians got found uh, being dodgy to. But he's also famous for creating the test that found the metabolite of Teratobol to prove drug use. So he kind of played both fields. Like, look, we found this drug. But prior to that, they were using that drug. Mm. Genius. So he ends up doing um, a whole bunch of consults with this American fella, and he's now telling him how to take drugs and beat the test as a water official. And in the midst of this, that's when the Russian um, uh, Olympic Committee got absolutely done over for all of their drug doping. And because of the, the level that this Grigory Kachenkov, I think his last name was, was at, he was like, uh, I think I'm going to get killed by the Russian mafia because they know that I know everything. Can you please help me? And he ships him off to America. And then instead of it being a documentary about this American guy uh, doing a cyclist competition natty and now geared and then looking at the differences, the benefits, the costs and benefits and all the rest of it, it actually becomes a documentary about the Russian doping uh, scandal. And there's the guy at the top talking to the American and he drops the bomb on all Russian doping, tells you how they completely cheated the Winter Olympics, how they did it, all the systems they did, the fact that they has essentially had like an office space dedicated to uh, clean piss, as he would put it, for all Russian athletes so they could change them out. Um, they would of, sneak into the lab at night time and like well, wiggle the caps off and change the samples. And like wow. it, it goes as high as the KGB and like, it's, it's just like, you're like, okay, so clearly everyone is drugged to the gills and <laughs> this guy knows everything and he just drops a bomb and he's still to this date in protective custody um, wow. in America. He sought asylum in Nobody America. Nobody knows where he is. 
Uh, I don't even know if he still has seen his wife and kids because they essentially know that if he gets found, he'll get killed by the Russians. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like something I want to watch, but that is, yeah, that's crazy. Side note to, look, to, to lighten the mood, the head honcho for WADA or the Olympics, I can't remember, either the American WADA guy or the Olympic Committee. Now, WADA was created by the Olympics, so it's kind of a self-serving prophecy too there and that they can kind of control who and what gets done. It's a bit of a mm-hmm. dodgy setup. His name is Dick Pound. Why do you not change that? How name? much do his parents hate him? That's so shit. Oh what the fuck? So I went to school with a girl called um her last name was Skidmore, which was funny enough. Oh no, that's right. There was another chick called her last name was B-A-R-Z-A-C, so Borzak, which sounds like Ballsack. Her yeah. brother's name was Richard, Dick Borzak. Oh yeah. come on, dude. <laughs> Any David would be fine, Christopher. Dean, right. Dean. Any, anything's better than Richard. Call him Sally. That would be nicer than <laughs> <laughs> Dick Borzak. So I do recommend Icarus for anybody that is interested in the, the background uh, specifics of how infiltrated the world of especially the Olympics, which is an amateur sport where the athletes make no money and the committees make all of the money. Yeah. Um, is just completely corrupt from the or, inside Or out. people that have rose-coloured glasses on when it comes to if sports are clean or not. Or even just go listen to Broderick even. Like, Broderick has got his hand dabbling in the back of a whole bunch of CrossFit athlete games, guys and girls. and Which we do the- not support, by the way. We're no. all for um, performance-enhancing drug use done safely in untested federations. But in tested sports, that's just straight up cheating and we don't support it. So yeah. even though Broderick does it, that doesn't mean that they're our values. Yeah, which he knows as well, which is good. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's scary. My, so the, the long and the short of this is my cynicism is probably not really that cynical. No, I think it's just quite <laughs> realistic, actually. Yeah, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Get on that. Hmm. Um, so on that note, shall we um, kick it off with some funnies? Yeah, sure. Uh, no, first of all, we're going to ask Chelsea for something worth sharing. Oh, do you have a, um, a book or a podcast or a, I don't know, supplement, holiday destination, anything worth sharing with our audience? <laughs> um, I, I'm reading a book right now. I have it right here too, surrounded by my books. This one's really good and an easy read. It's called um, The Art of a Good Life. Ooh. 52 Shortcuts to Happiness. So it's just like... 52 chapters of just like, like, um, like one of them that I found useful was, um, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. I think a lot of times when you're asked the question as people were, we always want to share our opinion and kind of like prove how much we know about something. But if we're really not educated on it, just say, I don't know. And it's, (laughs) I don't know about that. You know, I'll talk, I'm happy to talk about something else. And just to let that aspect of yourself go basically stress less about things um yeah so that's a good one i like that that sounds like a good book i think the great the greatest thing a coach can do is to remove the fear of not knowing Mm -hmm. it is such a relieving moment to recognize that you'll never know everything and then it's okay and that sometimes the clients are the ones with the answers if they want to improve their sleep, it's not up to you to come up with five reasons. Maybe just ask them, what do you think you can do to improve your sleep? Because some things are intuitive and common knowledge. It's just about pulling it out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. But 52 secrets to happiness. Is that what it is? Uh, no, to a good the life. Art, the oh. art of the good life. Yep. And then there's 52 chapters. With 52 right. The art ways. of yeah. the good life. Who's that by? Uh, it's by Rolf Dobelli. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. It does sound good. Um, what you drinking there, Chelsea? By the way, sparkling water. Oh, in a, in, yeah. the, in a coloured can, it looks so much more like special. It looks like uh, soda. Is that what you call it in America? <laughs> that was the word back then. Soda. Yeah. Sparkling water. I don't know if it's like that in Australia, but. A sparkling water has taken off here. There are like 5 million different brands of sparkling water. So we have um, a water brand here called Mount Franklin. They're like a pretty famous. Yeah. Are yeah. they from here? I, well, they're in Australia. I don't know if they're an Australian brand. Do they have them there in the States? I don't okay. think so. And they've recently brought out like a bunch of different sparkling water lines with like a hint of lemon or, and they're, 
they're becoming more common here too, but I'm not going to say that they've exploded. No. Mm. We have a soda stream at home because I love sparkling water. Mm. Mm-hmm. Trying to, you know, save plastic, <laughs> reduce yeah. my footprint on the environment. It's a big foot. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got some fast fire questions for you, Charles. The first two, oh, there's three of them, right? And they're, they're relatively quick, but we'll see how it goes. So mm-hmm. The first question is, how long would you last in a zombie apocalypse? Um, hmm, I think I would be, I think I would last a pretty long time. I... I'm pretty sneaky and I'm pretty fast. <laughs> if you were out of food, would you eat another zombie? Oh, another zombie? Uh, I guess. I think so. I think so. I, I think if, you know. Would you become infected if she ate the zombie? Hmm. I don't know how zombies work. I'm not sure the, the rules of the zombie apocalypse. So we'll have yeah. to. <laughs> so you'd survive know. out of pure speed. You'd just constantly speed run. Speed and sneakiness. You wouldn't push other humans yeah. in the way of another zombie? I think I would just run around them. <laughs> I don't want anybody else to get hurt, but I would want to save myself. So I think it would run fast. Yeah, I feel like if a zombie eventually got me, I'd want to take my own life. As How would you protect me. your dog? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I don't oh. know. He's faster than I am, to be honest. So <laughs> maybe he would just follow me. You'd turn him into an attack dog. Yeah, he'd be your yeah. weapon. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, not too bad. So a long time. Um, if you had to flee your current country, where would you go and why? I feel like this is quite pertinent given the, the landscape we're in. The COVID landscape. Mm. Where would I go? Um, I mean, I I would love to come back to Australia. So the current the current landscape, they won't let us in for a long time. I don't think anybody <laughs> of Americans in for a long time. <laughs> what I'm reading, but. Um, but yeah, I'd love to move back to Australia at some point. I had such a great time there. And um, yeah, so that's where I would go. Did you only see Sydney, mainly? Uh, no, I traveled around. I went to the Gold Coast a few times, uh, Melbourne. I never made it to Perth. Um, but yeah, even Tasmania I went to. So yeah, I saw most of it. Most Australians have not made it to Perth. No, that's true. I Oh no, I've been to Perth. Mm. Yeah, I did, a, I did a road trip. But anyways, um, I love how you say Melbourne. As an American, instead of Melbourne. Well, it depends where they're from in America. Well, I don't know, but it gets under my. It's one of those things, like when people say like vitamins, I'm like, it's clearly vitamins. <laughs> so appreciating the pronunciation of Melbourne. <laughs> well, I think it's different when you live somewhere. Like um, you want to, you want to fit into the people that with the people that live there. You know, so I started say I started saying like different words that I usually wouldn't say, like car Bond. park or the lift instead of the elevator um, or even like certain phrases that, that Australians say. One of my favorite phrases that Australians say is just when you, when you say things like, Oh, um, it's been a while, but like, uh, like good as like, you always just leave the as and you don't compare it to anything. So it kind of takes the pressure off. You don't have to think about good as what, or hot as what it's just, did you ever use the term bob's your uncle no (laughs) you understand it it. (laughs) so i said it um so at flex success we have a a private group just for coaches and clients and i said something bob's your uncle meaning like i don't know and that's all you have to do or something Mm. like how would you describe bob's your uncle yeah Yeah. and like that's it and i have an american client um from Florida, now living in Texas. Hi, Will. And he was like, "Who's Bob? <laughs> what do you? What is it like? What do you mean?" I'm like, "Oh." And where is his uncle? <laughs> that is true. We do. It's hot as, and it doesn't mean it's hot as anything. It just means it's really hot. <laughs> what do you say instead of car park? A uh, parking lot. No, but like but... garage. Okay. Mm. Yeah, we used to say garage. Hmm. Yeah, but exactly. You say it with a different um, syllables yeah. or like emphasis on different syllables, like garage instead of garage. So yeah, when I was there, I started saying things like that, which made me fit in more over there. But coming back here, people are like, what, what are you saying? I'm going to spell a word to you, Chelsea, and I want to see if you can pick this up for your uh, pronunciation. P-E-R-G-O-L-A. 
P-E-R. I never heard of that word. Oh, no, write it down. Right, yeah. You'll know the word, but write it because if we say it to you, then we're, we're ruining it. Yeah, it's, um, oh. it's one that I always hear like on American uh, home, home renovations uh, shows. P-E-R-G-O-L-A. And I'm like, what the hell? I, I don't think I've heard that. Pergola. I never heard of that word. Oh, you kind of said it like us. All pergola. right. Okay. So in American TV shows, they say pergola. And I was like, what is a pergola? We say pergola, which is sort of like a balcony or yeah. like a, a balcony on the first floor yeah. of your house. Oh. Like and a, no, usually also has a, no, a, no, a pergola like, is a roofed outdoor area. Yeah. Like an undercover outdoor area. Mm. Uh Okay, well, I learned learned something new there. there <laughs> so well, it seems like pergolas or pergolas aren't even that common. There you go. They're, they're actually pretty common well, in Australia, obviously. Cilantro? Yeah, cilantro. Yeah, cilantro, we would say, yeah. But we don't even say that. It's, um, what's her name? Uh, coriander. Coriander, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. How different we are. <laughs> uh-huh. One of my, um, we had, we always had, like, tickets available at our at our work a lot of times you know like sporting tickets and then um the first email (laughs) that my boss had written to our team it was like um first in best dressed like what does this mean (laughs) like do i have to show up in my address tomorrow to get the ticket i don't understand (laughs) i thought that would have just been a universal saying yeah me too i didn't i didn't realize that was a thing here first in best first in first served yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's an obvious one. Um, all right. What else have we got for Miss Chelsea? All right. We have two options for a would you rather to wrap this up, and I'm going to let Liz choose. There's just two, so she's going to be go for the lucky one. Oh. Would you rather a be forced to wear wet socks for the rest of your life, or only be allowed to wash your hair once a year? Oh. Um. That's an easy one as a dude. I. Oh, um, I, I'd probably pick the hair. I don't think I could handle walking around with wet socks for the rest of my life. Is shaving her head an option? Sure. Yeah. You'd look yeah. nice with a shaved head. They have some pretty powerful dry shampoos these days. Yeah. Mm. That's true. <laughs> you know what? I think wet socks would end in like athlete's foot and yeah. all sorts of funky situations. Oh, assuming it actually eventuates in what it would, your feet would be ruined within no time at all. But. Yeah. Probably only take two months for your feet to rot. Yeah. <laughs> That's so gross. Good choice then. <laughs> Good choice. Um, all right. Now, usually we wrap up the podcast with asking the guest where people can track them down. But um, assuming nothing goes terribly wrong between now and the time that we announce you in early <laughs> August, you can find Chelsea over at flex underscore success on Instagram or flexsuccess.com.au. Mm-hmm. Her coaching profile will be up there and... Um, if you would like to request coaching from her or even consultations or even just training programs, if you uh, aren't in a position to do nutrition coaching or don't want to, then um, go ahead, ask for Chelsea, have a chat, check her out. And uh, first in best dressed. (laughs) 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 Thanks guys. This was fun. Pleasure. See you Chelsea.